everyone. Welcome to a new Bunker Daily. I'm Roz Taylor. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, you can now support us on Patreon, the crowdfunding platform. Backers get lots of benefits, including an ad-free version of the podcasts, attractive mugs and t-shirts and access to our next live stream. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast and find out how you can keep us in rude health. Today, we're discussing a subject close to my heart and in fact, those of all Britons, I think, fish. Can a fish really be British? Is the fishing industry happy with the way Brexit is going? And what fish should we be eating more or less of? Talking to me today is Ian Spear. He's the managing director of Coombe Fisheries, which is a big seafood processor in Devon. Their speciality is scallops. Ian, hello. Hi. Not all British scallops are equal. The Marine Conservation Society recommends we eat scallops from Lyme Bay in Devon or off Wales and avoid ones from the Isle of Man. Why is that? Why is the situation different in different uh, parts of the UK? Well, I think the first thing that I would say is that the scores are quite similar to each other. So it's not like one is right at the top of the scale and one is right at the bottom. The MSE obviously have their own criteria and method of calculation, but I do find it slightly odd that the Isle of Man attracts a worse score than some other fishing areas. The Isle of Man have probably got the most comprehensive suite of management measures based on a long timeline of scientific evidence from Bangor University and their own research in the waters being discussed. So it it is slightly strange, but it, it does basically, their determination is based on abundance in the waters catching methods and various other criteria. Mm -hmm. So tell us what impact the pandemic has had so far on your business. Well, first of all, we've had to furlough some of our team, which is obviously um, quite impactful for them and and, and unsettling, I suppose, in some ways. We've had to introduce introduce new working practices to ensure social distancing. We've had staggered start times, staggered breaks, lower density staffing in the processing area than we would normally have. And some fishermen have not been able to go to sea because some of their crew have had concerns, you know, health concerns, and so have stayed home, meaning that the fishing boat can't go to sea. I think the impact on sales has been absolutely massive. And we really have to talk about Brexit because Brexit and and fish are so synonymous, I think, in many people's minds. The fishing industry in general was promised that Brexit would make them better off. Tell us why fishers generally were unhappy with the common fisheries policy. I know you're in a very distinct area here uh, and and you're not involved in whitefish at all, but what were the main beefs, if you like, that fishers had with, with the EU? There's widely perceived to be an inequitable distribution of quota and fishing opportunity. So quota is the amount you're allowed to catch of certain species. The fishing opportunity is where uh, where you can fish and, and, and how much. So just to give a couple of examples, um, English Channel Cod, the UK has 8% of the quota and France has 88%. Uh, and you you would probably expect it to be a more even split than that. And in terms of where fishing vessels can fish, I I don't want to be too uh, detailed about it, but basically the the sea is notionally split into different areas depending on the distance from the shore. So zero to three nautical miles, three to six, six to 12, and 12 over. EU vessels are allowed to fish between the UK six to 12 nautical miles limits, Um, But we have virtually nothing reciprocal apart from a small entitlement to 
target herrings off Dunkirk. I don't think that's been fished for a long time and possibly a small area over Germany. But certainly there's a massive imbalance and it's, it's a source of huge irritation to UK fishers. And it really does sour fishers' view of the EU as a whole. At the same time, the situation with British fishing waters is, is quite complex because before we joined the European community in the 70s, our waters only actually extended out to 12 miles. And then that was worldwide really extended to 200 miles. Though, of course, because of the width of the, of the north and the Irish Seas and the Channel, it isn't actually that much for us all the way, all the way around the UK. Um, nor for other UK, uh, nor for other EU states, for that matter. So there was an advantage given that in pooling stocks and uh, agreeing quotas and rules and and so on with other nations. Difficult as that was, I think. What impact do these rules and quotas have on your business specifically for scallops? Yeah, I think overall rules and quotas are typically there to ensure a sustainable fishery, and of course, any business should want that. I think the problem comes with the implementation and claims of unfairness. I, mean, I attended the European Fisheries Council meeting last year for the first time. And, and whilst it's fair to say that nobody could seriously question the effort put in by the minister and their team, I couldn't help but think that it was just an enormous exercise in horse trading as opposed to getting the best deal based on scientific advice. So I think when the horse trading has gone against you, it's quite difficult to take. And it can have a really significant effect on your bottom line. And certainly that was the case in the 70s, wasn't it, when we had the Cod War situation where there were standoffs between British boats and Icelandic boats. And in the end, the deal the deal that was done, and of course Iceland isn't in the EU, the deal that was done massively benefited Iceland at the expense of Britain. So there's been a long kind of feeling of being being hard done by i think among among british fishers is that is that fair to say yeah i think it is uh, and i think a, a lot of the reason for that is that apart from maybe now um i think fishing has been relatively low profile within the uk and and certainly the feeling from industry is that it, it's it's been not not sufficient consequence to successive uk government so it, it's not it's not had the focus on it that it's had in, in other countries. You know, fishing to Iceland will be more important than it is in the UK. And up to a point, the same with France. Well, definitely with France and Spain, maybe with Holland. So what would a no-deal Brexit mean for your industry with that level of exports? I think a no-deal Brexit would cause huge problems for the shellfish industry. The way I look at it is very simple. You need to be able to catch product, you need to be able to process it, and you need to be able to sell it. So from a catching perspective, you know, at the moment, some shellfish is caught in what would become EU waters, and we would lose some highly productive grounds uh, from a fishing perspective, so that would be negative. From a processing perspective, we'd struggle to get staff under the current proposals for immigration from the Home Office. And I know people will say, well, employ other people or mechanise, but many of our processes are labour-intensive and there is no mechanical alternative. And you have to accept that pre-COVID anyway, there's been very little unemployment for a long time and many sectors find themselves short-staffed at the the moment. The service sector, care home, civil engineering, and taking people out of the workforce 
is only going to make a difficult situation much worse. The other issues to worry about would be uh, tariffs. You know, in a in a No Deal Brexit, would be a most favoured nation tariff basis, and that would mean approximately forty one million pounds cost to industry in tariffs. Now, if that can be passed on to the customer, that's fine, but that's highly unlikely because there are alternative substitute products available, and basically. UK suppliers don't have sufficient power in the commercial relationship to be able to achieve that. This sort of issue will be very demanding considering the industry will be in much poorer shape post-COVID. And do you think there's a chance the EU will slap tariffs on British shellfish, especially if there's bad feeling um, after talks fail and make things even more difficult, apart from all the problems you're going to have exporting anyway with additional checks and regulations. Is that is that a possibility, do you think, in order to protect their own fishing industries? I think it's a possibility, but I think the you know the, the most favoured nations level of tariff will, will be sufficient to protect their own industry, as will the, the other problems outlined. So, yeah, it's possible, but I, I don't think it would be necessary if that's what they wanted to achieve. Ultimately, uh, the fishing industry, it only employs 24,000 people in Britain. That's a very small percentage of GDP, I think 0.12%. Do you think, do you fear that you'll end up as collateral damage in these negotiations, whether there's a deal or whether there's no deal? Do you think that because ultimately the value of the fishing industry is, is, while it's symbolically important, it isn't economically that important that you may lose out as a result? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is a concern, and I think it's certainly the biggest concern amongst UK fishers that in the event of a deal, you know, they're not materially better off in terms of effort and quota. However, what is starting to become more widely acknowledged is that the fishers can have they can have all the quota that they could ever need, but if the deal is that this can't be readily processed and sold, then it won't be much use to them. But yeah, it, it is a big concern. I mean, I think. It's definitely been a high-profile part of the Brexit campaign. I've I've had a lot of conference calls with various officials, and they are saying all the right things uh, and offering quite a lot of reassurance that it that it will be different this time. But absolutely, for people that were around at the time when we joined the EU, common market as it was then, I suppose, there's an enormous feeling that that the fishing industry was betrayed by the government at the time and, and was sold to basically facilitate entry. And I think if that were to happen on the way out as well as it did on the way in, you hope against hope that it that it can't happen, but a tiny bit of you worries that it might, I suppose. Thanks so much for joining us, Ian. What's your favourite way to eat scallops? I think there are lots of great recipes around, um, but my overall favourite is to have them seared with a ginger, soy and coriander dressing. But given that it's technically at least summer, I should also say that I really enjoyed having a scallop ceviche last weekend. And that's raw scallops, isn't it? For those yeah, it know. is. I mean, basically, they're fine. You know, they're almost diced, all, I think. They were done with uh, some red onion, a little bit of lime juice, some olive oil and some chives, I think it was, in them. But, yeah, essentially raw. Very nice. Right, that's making me very, very hungry now. Listeners, there's another Bunker Daily tomorrow. And don't forget our next live stream. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how to sign up for that. We'll see you there.
Another Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kelly Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.